Well, first of all, I acknowledge one must acknowledge um, that prices are going up. And that. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve Well, we acknowledge and one must acknowledge that we're back here at another Ruthless Variety program. How how brave of Kamala Harris to acknowledge it. You you know what the instant thought I had when I first heard that is it's like, you know, you're in high school. You've got a three page minimum. You've already messed with the margins. You've changed the font by half a point, And it's like time to just add in words that aren't necessary. But just get that word count, push it to three pages. Can I just share something with you guys? And far be it for me to pat myself on the back. Oh, no, far be it. Far be it. But uh, the way that that cut worked is you had Kamala saying, prices are going up and that, uh, and then it cuts right to Ted Cruz saying, Republicans are going to take the House and the Senate. <laughs> Yeah, it's a nice cut. Nice, nice synergy. It's a nice cut. Well, we got a very big show. Uh, first off, in studio today, we have former Attorney General Bill Barr. Uh, a great interview. He's got a book. What you've seen in interviews from Bill Barr up to this point has very little to do with this, this man's book, <laughs> what I've come to find out. We read the book. And we asked him about the contents of the book. Uh, I think every interview he's done up to this point, with maybe the exception of Brett Baer, dealt with the first seven pages, which was the end of his tenure uh, with President Trump post-election. We cover it all, and I found it fascinating. It was. It was, it was absolutely fascinating. The guy is obviously very, very smart. And... You know, there's obviously I remember I discussed this with him after the interviews, like the one thing I enjoyed about his book was he can offer a unique perspective because he's done the job before. Yeah. You know, in a different administration. And so his view is a little bit longer than most whose experience might be limited to to just the Trump administration. And I think that gives him an interesting perspective on everything. And I look, I found it fascinating. There's so much I didn't know in there, especially when he was working for you know, George H.W. Bush, that it's just fascinating stuff. Well, and, and it's the argument we've always had against the left and against media in this country is that their perspective on everything starts and ends about three years ago. Right, right. right you know what right. I mean? They have no, they have no right. longer view of any of this stuff. He clearly has all of that. I just found it, it, first of all, he's a whale of a guy, and he spent all the time in the world with us, and I think you'll enjoy the interview. Um, second of all, Smug, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that our program was hijacked. On Tuesday. That's right. That's right. Uh, I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to give it a listen. We had Hen running it. Ashbrook, <laughs> were you on there too? And Duncan? That was. I mean, that's not a bad squad, honestly. No. I will give that a listen. <laughs> I'll give it a listen. Oh, who, thank you so who carried, much. Who carried? Smug. Who took lead on that? Was it Hen? Was she like calling the shots on that? I think very clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Very if clearly. it was a quality show, I attribute it 100 percent to Hollywood. You got. You guys are valued members of the team. We're <laughs> we're glad you decided to show up today for another show. The audience. Uh, the audience deserves a full complement of the ruthless program, not just not just a few. Well, yeah. we had two very different reasons for not being here. Smug was actually having fun. Yeah. So um, I have a group of buddies, and 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 I'm. This is not sponsored. I actually had the time of my life. Uh, they started a company called Pursuit Outside. 
and they put together these i mean it's not a vacation it's like an excursion and an experience I mean, a great time to be had out in the wilderness you know if you're into like diving with sharks if you're into you know if you want to hunt wild turkeys if you know you name it if you want to do it chances are they have it and they have like local guides um folks who will who will train you who will show you everything depending on your skill set if you're already a pro uh at fly fishing you know you don't need a guide then just go out there and they'll get you to the best location so uh i was out in sun valley fly fishing and shooting guns having the absolute time of my life oh yeah and i'm gonna go buy some waders and i'm gonna go buy like an ar-15 so it's like <laughs> wow, a yeah. life-changing experience <laughs> like i don't know how i've existed without doing these two things shooting a lot of guns and fly fishing for so long but i mean it sun valley like words you know idaho words cannot express how beautiful it is it's like you can see the stars at night um it's just it it feels almost like uh finally waking up you know it's easy especially if you live in a city is the day but you know the days kind of blend together but every second out there is just it's an incredible moment and uh you know huge shout out uh to josh putting that together uh from pursuit outside amazing work had a great time fly fishing well and i'll just say this i saw a video of you fishing yeah. Which it's, it seemed like you were executing a fly fishing cast. Before you went on this trip, I would have I bet no you clue. looked like a worshiper oh, with yeah. Tourette's yeah. before you were trying to handle that thing. <laughs> the technique, I saw the video as well. The technique looked pretty good. It was fluid. And, 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 and it's 100% from, from ground zero, from scratch. They, they had excellent, excellent guides who were very patient. Very patient. I can imagine like, their patience. Yeah. I mean, it, it, time of my life and, and it was an absolute experience and i'll definitely be doing something again with those guys i love it i love it well that's great i was on the other hand uh with two sick kids with croup yeah uh not as fun i didn't i didn't uh, sleep for a couple straight days worrying about that but you know listen it's uh we all have our things right? yeah and i'm thankful for you all in hollywood hen of carrying the load it was nice of you i'm just you know honored to serve giving the people what they wanted yeah yeah, well, it's a treasure. You're both a treasure. Um, all right, so one thing that we didn't cover on Tuesday that we need to get to was the finale of Hack Madness. Yeah, I didn't want to really cover it because I, I felt like that you would be... You need smug for that. Yeah, I felt like it'd be a little rude. I appreciate rude. that. A little rude. Yeah, yeah. So we have a champion. We have a champion, folks. It was, I mean, we had Brian Stelter versus Jen Rubin. It's just Clash of the Titans all the way through. And with 53.9% of the vote, Jennifer Rubin, the brainworm queen, takes the crown. Back to back. Back to back. I mean, the performances she's put in, you can absolutely see where it is. And honestly, this might be the Stelter Swan song. You know, there's a lot of rumors about CNN, like they haven't been doing well at all lately. Well, he might be out. That's, that's the funniest part is we sort of called this uh, in the preview uh of Hack Seg- Madness segment yeah. in the preview segment of this of this championship match, we mentioned like CNN Plus ain't doing so well. There's a lot of consternation at CNN about Brian Stelter and the investors and whatnot and the merger between Time Warner and Discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually there's more news on that now. Axios had some reporting that says that only ten thousand people <laughs> watch fewer. it a day. Fewer. They can't even get ten thousand people a day to watch CNN Plus. We get more downloads in the first one minute. Yeah. <laughs> then you release this program. And Africa has an update on that too. 
on the uh, on the video that the tweet that you had of oh a, yeah well i mean if i think we're going to get into this a little bit more later in the program but i mean we did an experiment as, as a lot of our audience knows we did an experimental live stream on state of the union you guys were talking about this with our postage stamp television exactly very small <laughs> they and everybody made fun of us for it and they were right to make fun of us we're going to get a bigger television we're okay. get a bigger tv all right okay fine well uh, can fake, i just say sure. we had we had more people watch that than watch the in the first watch. youtube thing we've ever done yeah, we, right. we never and did we gave the heads up like 30 minutes before we right. turned the camera and they off. spent 200 million dollars yeah. promoting <laughs> their thing right our our stream stopped like halfway right if you look at the beginning of it, it's us like walking up to the computer, yeah. pressing play, trying to figure it out. We're eating McDonald's. That's We're so tossing legit. stuff around. <laughs> right. And it's we a different environment when you can compete with a billion dollar company and two hundred million dollars worth of marketing just virtue by by plugging a couple of mics into the side but of the computer. It's incredible. You know what? Jen Jen Rubin beat CNN too, and uh, Fox. Not to not to be uh, you know. Joey Brackets just really covers yeah. it. We've talked Shout about it. Shout out him Joseph before. Wilson at, over at Fox News, who I mean, it, it's like a passion project. The guy comes up with the, he, he covers the tournament better than ESPN covers March Madness, right? But he also comes up with the like beyond New York Post caliber headlines. The, the headlines. Of puns. Like and, he's and, a genius. And, he, and what he does is sort of a Mel Kuyper. Like he's got mm. the scouting report on, yeah, he does. on every, every competitor. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys see his lead on the championship game? No, I did see it, but please regale us again. He said, uh, Jennifer Rubin continues to shatter glass ceilings, this time being the first person of all genders to win the liberal hack tournament two years in a row. It's just poetry. Oh, the man's so good at what he does. I love it. I wish wish we had broader range to have him do a full bracketologist maybe someday we'll have right have like have like someday you're gonna have to pay like we'll have like a fantasy hack tournament and you'll have to pay like the dollar 99 extra to get wolfson to <laughs> you on your picks. get the wolfson draft pack yeah yeah like an espn plus <laughs> yeah uh okay so should we start with some five stars fellas sure absolutely uh duck you want number one here sure uh the title here is fellas save my marriage by C.R. Cantrell. The ongoing success of the Variety program is entirely deserved. Thank you very much for saying that. Very nice. Uh, the three hosts are consistently entertaining and informative. Even their production intern, Ashbrook. <laughs> Great one. <laughs> can crack a couple jokes here and there. Where else can I learn about the inner workings of Capitol Hill? Um, here in parenthetical, alleged bear crimes. That's right. Yeah, very alleged. Poor, poor urban planning. Another parenthetical. Indianapolis. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. A direct shot. Hypersonic missiles and, of course, animal fighting techniques. Yeah. Which brings me to my problem. My wife has gone on the record claiming that I'd lose a fight to a kangaroo. Mm. Fellas, I'll press the internet button and buy a shirt if Smug the ep- expert himself can give me the best method of fighting a kangaroo. Like one of those buff kangaroos. I'm yep. talking the Dwayne Johnson of marsupials, <laughs> not the Max Boot of koalas. Please save my marriage, Chris. Yeah. Well, we believe it or not, Chris, we've put some thought into this. Yeah. I, I so so Chris, number one, you're absolutely correct. I, I would wager you could take a kangaroo. Interesting. And here's the thing: is you watch how kangaroos like fight each other, or like you know when they occasionally go after a person, what do they do? They like lean their head back, and then they start throwing out, like, wild little punches. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Little punches because of their little arms. Yeah. Well, well, and then you, and then you got you, you to gotta look out for the leg kick. 
Yeah, but well, that's the thing you got to. Well, that's look the thing for. is that's the thing is. So what you want to do is they don't have much range, and and you don't want to get in there, and, and you know they probably have range on a human. You go for a kick right off the bat, kick right to the mug, right in the nuts, dude. Yeah. Oh, in the nuts, right in the nuts. Kick them right there. Kick the baby out if it's in the pouch. Who cares? You're in it to win it. <laughs> well, you got to get you land that. Yes. You land that kick, and it sends the message. It'll either run. Or it's already demoralized to the point that then it's just like, you know, haymakers. I, I 100% agree, Smug. The other thing in fighting a kangaroo is they're sort of pear-shaped. Like, bo- they're bottom-heavy. bottom heavy, sure. The yep. legs are extremely strong. You you do a drop kick center mass in the middle of that Did thing. You knock it over. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, at least it's a brushback pitch. Well, here's the thing. You don't want to get inside. No. Because if this if he gets inside and he gets those big friggin' legs on yeah. you... He's gonna he's gonna end up stuffing you in his fucking well, pouch. And that's the other thing, Chris, is like, what's your wingspan? You know, like if you've got reach and you can you can land a blow, a punch might do. But I think Smug is right. Yep. The first move is the straight kick straight to center kick, mass. Like you're, you're punting nuts. Yeah, that's the first. Have play. you guys seen the the video of the guy whose dog gets kind of roughed yes. up and the guy just goes straight nose punch? He does. And the thing kind of backs up like, that's Uh-oh, it. Right. What am I dealing with? And I, so I, the only th- critique I may have on a center mass kick is they have fragile little heads. They do. But you know what, man? Like almost like a chimpanzee, those mm. arms are small, but those shoulders yeah. and everything are extremely, extremely strong. Like you strong. mentioned, like the Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. They what, get shredded. What you don't. Yeah, what, they do. What uh, you they don't. shredded ruse. Right. Yeah. What you don't want is get is to get grabbed by one of these yep. things. Because what they do is they will grab your your upper body and, and then, then do the start kick doing the kicks on you off the tail so what you can't do is get inside not not because if you get inside yeah the head is fragile but if they grab you then the kicks come so yeah. you got to stay at a distance you can't get you can't you can't I'm going, get inside yeah, so on i'm this going thing. for nut kick number one they're like mike tyson if you get a stun off that like it's really surprised then you can just try to kill a shot with a head but like you don't want to play the 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 straight up boxing game when it's like leaning back, it will not expect you know a punk kick to the nuts. So Chris, you got it. You got to cover. Ashbrook and I have a friend uh, Boyer who spent uh, about fifteen years dissecting the fighting of kangaroos. No kidding. And he has a lot of specific thoughts on this. I think you guys are on to something. He is more dubious than you are about our ability to defeat a, a kangaroo one on one. I always point to the guy with the dog. Yeah, but he thinks that they've got dude. They're very adaptability. They're very muscular. People don't realize that. They think they're cute and cuddly. They are not. They're no. not. No. And and the thing is, is if you get like a Muhammad Ali roo, right. where it's like bouncing side to side and it's hard to hit. The like, head is small. Yeah, I mean, if he's giving you if he's giving you a head uh, action where it's difficult to hit center mass. Uh, you could be in some trouble. Ima- yeah. Imagine how many views UFC would get if they just slated one of the undercards <laughs> for like Patty the Batty versus the a roo. kangaroo. <laughs> I, uh, I'd empty my bank. We got to legalize that like in Texas. Like, Governor <laughs> Abbott has to sanction this. It's Well, it is. So here's the thing. It, it's, right. I think it's illegal in a lot of states. But if like one of the one of the genius aspects of P.T. Barnum is he was able to get around a lot of these things. What he would do is he would sh- he would just push a barge out into the water. International waters. And people would fight on the barge and bet on the barge. I think what we need to do With is Ruth. take one of these unused cruise ships, you know, the poop boats that nobody's going on <laughs> these days, and set it up as I like I think a, the only good use for a cruise ship is to, like, see matches between people versus animals. Yeah. And, and you know what? You can get that you can get a live stream. And everybody, everybody. Would so now we absolutely know what we're gonna do, guys. <laughs> this is a multi-million dollar venture, which is all fun and games until Hank the Tank shows up. And and that, what's well, up? What's I up, mean, bitch? Imagine that 
Imagine that matchup. Like you could have every continent, the strongest animal from every continent and the strongest guy from every continent. And, wrestling and, yeah. and punching and no holds barred. And, you know, I also, you got to give credit to, to, to the people of Australia who have been able to like market their like insane mistake of nature creatures as like cuddly. <laughs> like koalas. koalas. Yeah, they have like horrible claws. They're mean. They're mean. Yeah. They're awful animals. And like koalas. They, they all reek. They have STDs, like the highest STDs. rate. STDs. No, no, <laughs> what? Seriously. Seriously. No, smug is correct. Don't, is, I don't think it's herpes. Like I think cr- it's chlamydia. chlamydia like you name it, it yeah. they got it, right? Like, it, it's disgusting. Why do they have chlamydia? I have no idea. And, and they have enormous claws. Like, you don't want to hold a koala. They're terrible animals. And God knows what they're doing out there in the outback to catch that shit, you know? Uh, I just, I don't, I think we better stop. Well, I think that makes the fight more interesting. <laughs> well, loser gets chlamydia. Uh, <laughs> all right, second one. This is uh, sitting in Boone with a shotgun from Timothy. I've been a day one listener, thanks to Smug, but I've got to stand by Holmes as a former member of a certain senator's staff. McTeam sticks together. Oh, it's a McConnell staffer. <laughs> former McConnell staffer. Fantastic. Um, uh, thank you guys for keeping me sane uh, back when I worked in politics. And now that I'm out of politics, you guys are the reason I stay informed. The mm. stories you hear about uh, supply shortages and delays in the private sector are no joke. And thank you for the boon shout out, Smug. I moved here recently and will be sitting out on my deck with a shotgun ready to shoot any delivery drones uh, like clay pigeons. Keep up the good work, fellas. Hell yeah. Awesome. And, and I mean, a smart move. Boone is just gorgeous. Yeah, Absolutely yeah, gorgeous the, slice of the country. The title of, the, of that one was Sitting in Boone with a Shotgun. I mean, yeah. like, <laughs> all right. I definitely want to hear this guy's thoughts. Uh all right, who wants this one? It looks, oh boy. Oh, God. Oh, boy. I think we could let Ashbrook take that one. Oh, you, okay. We're doing it. Wait, again. I know how this got in. We, I, There was two, and now all of a sudden we've got three. So you can, you can guess, you, listeners know what's coming. Well, this one is, uh, <laughs> this one was submitted by SATX Music. Um, and this, this listener is obviously very, very smart. Um, the title of this five star is, and now the rest of the story. I've been a loyal listener since day one of the Variety program. However, I have to say adding a fourth person to the on-air talent has been fantastic. (laughs) I agree. Hen is just key to this. (laughs) That's right. Smug is a valued member of the team as well. (laughs) I could not place Whip Smash Bro. Wait, what does it say? I couldn't place Who? You can't even read your own writer. I couldn't place who Smashbrook reminded me of this whole time, but I knew the dulcet tones of his baritone voice was soothing and a welcome addition. (laughs) Finally, while Ashbrook was reading a five-star review on the episode from Tuesday, April 5th, it hit me. He's our generation's Paul Harvey. Good day. (laughs) You know what? I have to agree with that. That that is completely accurate analysis. Like when you did the the intro thing for, for Grassley, that that the God made it a wasn't good. It was. I mean, excellent, Paul Hart. I got chills. Yeah, I got God chills. God made a Grassley. You ever yeah. get sick of this line of work? You know, voiceover. Absolutely. Can you, you know, do? Full can support. you? Can you do the? And now, the rest of the story with the pregnant pause in a Paul Harvey voice for us. Mm. <clears throat> I'll do my. I'm gonna. I'm gonna butcher it. But uh, you know, if you if you want me to try, I want you to try, please. And now, 
the rest of the story. <laughs> there it is. That's so there good. From now on, we're just going to give him like jingles. And yeah. Shit, and he's going to have to. He's yeah. got to work the board and also <laughs> also do those voiceovers. Say it. Say yeah. it. Yeah. Say yeah. it. It's a, it's a living. Uh, all right. So, look, the top news from this week, unquestionably, is the inflation rate. Mm-hmm. Right. So on on Tuesday, we found out that consumer prices rose eight point five percent in march yikes slightly hotter than expected says cnbc and the highest since 1981 uh wowzers guys this is this i think it was 7.8 in february yeah now it's eight and a half uh these i mean you can't underscore how terrible these these figures are um unprecedented in our lifetimes you know pretty much to begin with i mean that's a starting point so 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 for you know a lot of our listeners you have never seen anything close to how bad it is but you are certainly experiencing it you notice everything is more expensive like when i'm checking out the grocery store i i'm always stunned always stunned every time totally it's like double like chicken breast is costing an arm and a leg like that's the price yeah did you guys see that bloomberg actually broke this down to what it means for the average family uh in in a report they they released recently they said inflation will mean the average u.s household has to spend an extra fifty two hundred dollars this year are you serious it's 430 bucks a month oh my gosh that's that's real money i mean that's a significant tax hike on everybody that's it and the thing is, I know we keep coming back to this, but it can't. This point cannot be belabored. Is that this is a result of policies? Yes, it is. Right. This yes, is it not. Is. This is not some sort of uh, uh, indiscriminate action by a world power that somehow we had no control over. Yeah, where they keep saying Putin's Putin's price hike or Putin's gas hike and all that bullshit, and they're still doing it. Right. And, and I think there's 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 this great chart that was circulating online the other day uh, when when. The Dems and me- uh, members of this administration try pushing this ridiculous messaging about, oh, it's the Putin price hike. Uh, this great chart came out showing basically uh, uh, CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which is the gauge that we use to measure inflation um, through the Trump years and then as soon as Biden took over. And so when Biden took over, inflation is sitting at about 1.7%, right? <laughs> and then up until uh, Putin begins this this aggression. It goes from 1.7 to 8% under Biden. Right. That's the Biden price. It's take. like basically a vertical line. Yeah. And then this it's gone from Putin. it's yeah. gone from 8 to 8.5 right. since the Putin aggression. Right. And so they're trying to put that like <laughs> half point. They're trying to put all this on Putin when that half point is if anything you could attribute to that situation. I think it's But even but even that. Even that. You have to also suspend all reality about how we got into this nonsense in the first place, mm-hmm. right? You wouldn't have any Putin construct to this at all if you were energy independent. There you go. I mean, that that's the, 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 all the facets of this. The reason folks are paying more at the grocery store, the reason they're paying more for gas, and it all holistically comes together, is, like you said, because of policymaking decisions. When you cripple this country uh, in, in terms of energy production— you enable bad actors like we spent the past 20 years learning hey you know if we can if we're not reliant on terrible people that's probably a good idea we spent 20 years uh, uh figuring that out and under president trump we accomplished it for the first time yeah and, 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 and i can remember the u.s was was a net exporter of energy and day one biden just like you know kicks the chair out it. from under us reversed it 
So the Wall Street Journal obviously has a right-leaning editorial page, but their news, their economic news is is not right-leaning. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's just kind of like, they're, I mean, this is their business, and, right? And I mean, if this I can be honest, do. as a longtime journal reader, they're probably center-left. Let's it, be the honest. news is. The journal, yeah. The news is. I, I mean, I agree with that. So, but, but they wrote this article this week, this isn't Putin's inflation. The price rises began long before Russia, to your point that you just made, invaded Ukraine, uh, and it will be hard to stop. And they go through this sort of litany of problems that had been leading to the inflation up to the point where where Ukraine became an issue. And you just look at it, it's just it's just a black and white issue, right? right I mean, right. It, this is not, if you actually look at it, objectively there is basically no case to be made that this is anything other than the policies of the biden administration being implemented that has led to this disaster for the american people yeah that this this piece that they put out this week <clears throat> the thing that caught my attention the most was the kicker uh and there's a lot of great great details in there that i'm sure you guys noticed that you'd like to flag but the but the kicker uh, underscored. They they said inflation is a powerful political force because it can't be explained away. Every voter feels it every single yeah. day. And if the November elections are a referendum on the cost of living, voters won't blame the Kremlin. They'll blame the party in power in Washington. Well, of, and, co- of course. I mean, look. Also in here it says uh, the overall price news is terrible for American workers and consumers. The March surge means that real r- wages fell. By 0.8%. This is the thing about inflation, right? Is like, it's not just a tax. It's a regressive tax on the poorest Americans, the people that the Democrats pretend to care about the most. And of course they don't. They don't give a shit about them. They don't. So so two things about that. So so number one, um, they they want to message this as kind of like a blame Russia kind of thing. Um, I brought this up a, a... when, when I was on the vacation with a lot of smart folks who hadn't even recognized this. And I think this has not been picked up by the media at all. So uh, you, you might recall when the administration said, oh, we broke Russia's back. We're, we're ruining them economically. So uh, February 22nd, uh, you, you could get an exchange of 78 rubles to the dollar, right? And when the sanctions first went into place, there was a price shock. It got up to 133 uh, rubles to the dollar. That's March 10th. And, and that's when the administration you know, put up the victory flag and said, hey, this, you know, we've done it. We've done it, guys. As of today, April, uh, it's 82.25. So you're looking at 78, it's right back to where you were. And meanwhile, uh, because of Biden's policies, Putin is able to conduct this war and afford this war and this aggression because he basically gave him a monopoly uh, over Eastern Europe's power with, with, with Nord Stream. When, when, President Trump had blocked Nord Stream, had made American uh, energy uh, independent. Biden did the exact opposite starting on day one. And this is what you get. Look, I think I don't think it's insignificant that you mentioned Eastern or Europe's power, because if you look at the G7, these are the seven biggest, most powerful economies in the world. Our inflation is higher than all of them. Oh, higher than Germany, higher than Italy, higher than the UK, higher than Canada, France and Japan. And that's Bloomberg. That's not the ruthless and, variety program. And, and, you know, for folks who follow finance closely, to have a higher inflation rate than Italy. Yeah, you got to work real hard at that. That takes a lot of Not a lot work. of economic discipline yeah. going on over yeah. there, right? Yeah, no, they're basically giving away spaghetti and meatballs. Oh, That's a borderline right there. We're going to get a letter on that. I mean, they have not been the best, you know, economic <laughs> stewards 
over the past 10 years, especially, you know, considering their debt situation. But but you look the at the fact that we are facing more inflation than basically the entire Western world. It points that this is not, you know, this isn't because of Russia. This isn't because of any macroeconomic trends globally. This is because of the policies that have been put in place by this administration. That's the argument. Like, if anyone tries to bring up, oh, you know, well, Biden's not the one to blame. This is because of supply chains. The entire globe is handling the supply chain problems, right? The entire world is dealing with the, the Russian attack on Ukraine. But the difference is we are facing higher inflation than any of those countries. Yeah, you know, and, and what's the only difference? It's Joe Biden. What, what's so funny about that is I look back and think about what could have been. And we are not even four months removed from a very real situation where they were about to pass another $5 trillion in this build back Brandon Mm -hmm. nonsense. And, you know, look, an awful lot of folks like to take shots at, at Republicans being in the minority and what are they accomplishing and whatnot. The strategy that was executed to put that thing to bed may have saved it's hard to say save because you're still dealing with eight and a half percent inflation imagine another five trillion dollars into that right imagine i mean because everything up to that point didn't even reach what they were trying to do with build back brandon right so double the problem that we're talking about in terms of currency flowing into into communities and and, and that's dead on i think it's very important for, for for voters to realize voters can feel this effect of everything is more expensive they can feel inflation but there has to be a connect on on the very absolute fact that the answer democrats are proposing is more 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 and if you listen to their their logic it's it's remarkable yeah it, it's it's absent of logic it's it's unreal yeah it, it, i mean they literally are saying oh we've got an inflation we have high gas prices let's subsidize it yeah, let's give people gas cards. I mean, because well, then the gas is free. How the <laughs> how the hell do you think they got in this place right. in the first place? Right. I mean, it's, it's truly unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Like it's whatever, unbelievable. whatever you think about Republican governance up to this point, there is literally only one reason right now. It's not twice as bad. Right. That's what I keep coming back to. You know, I mean, look, this is going to be a red wave for a lot of reasons, but credit where credit is due. That was a fait accompli six months ago. Mm-hmm. It was just going to get done. Mm-hmm. And there was a hell of a strategy that was executed in order to not make that happen. Now, I shall say, Democrats are still at it. They're still trying. They're still at it. They're st- in the face of all this, they're still trying to pass this damn thing. Mm-hmm. But I think they've got them cornered right now and credit where credit's due. But And, and also, like you look at all the research notes that are coming out, You know, the smart money on the street, uh, 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 Bank of America Merrill Lynch released a note where they were just like not at all I mean, it's the gloomiest I've seen a note from them in some time. Uh, JPM, they just missed their earnings uh, this morning, and a lot of folks consider JPM to be like uh, JP Morgan to be like super rock solid uh, and an indicator of the U.S. economy in general. I mean, it tracks very closely uh, to economic health. It's pretty funny, but uh, JP Morgan missed earnings estimates this morning, Eey. and I mean, I can't remember. I mean, the last time that's happened. In, in, a, in maybe a decade like that o- JPM is like o- don't say that we're we talking like oh eight oh nine well I mean so so another it, you know for finance nerds you you had the yield curve inverted which is looking at the two and ten year uh, of U.S. Treasury bonds and it's pretty much like a given a uh, fact I, I want to say like five or six of the previous recessions we've had every time from uh, six to tw- uh, eighteen months 
when the yield curve uh, inverts within the next six to 18 months, you see a recession. Oof. <sighs> wow. We can't get these guys out of power fast enough. It's, I mean, we can't it afford it. Unbelievable we can't afford done. it. American families cannot afford that. No, and, and I, you know, inflation isn't our only problem. We no, have supply sub- chain yeah, issues. That's exactly right. Right? I mean, that, the fact of the matter is, is that that hasn't improved either. It's right? gotten worse. We've been dicking around with all kinds of ideological goals of this administration, in both in terms of the regulatory policy and what they're trying to accomplish on Capitol Hill. But meanwhile, there's this headline out of the Wall Street Journal about baby formula shortaging uh, that prompts rationing at Target, Target, Kroger, Walgreens, and CVS. I can't think of anything more horrifying than Jesus. that. Jesus. I want to, so, so uh, imagine if someone told you that a country was facing uh, shortages on baby formula like three years ago. You, you'd imagine oh, maybe Venezuela, it's a, you know, they're in an awful situation. This is America today. I just, I, I can't, you know, look, as a young, as a parent of young kids, and uh, having a lot of friends that are peers and going through the same stuff, I can't. I can't even imagine the anxiety and horror you would have if you didn't have what it takes to feed a baby. I, c- I couldn't imagine it, it it either. And you know what I heard today is that our supply chain crisis could actually get worse. Mm-hmm. There is this massive labor contract that's under renegotiation on the ports in the West Coast. You you you've all seen these charts. Where the boats are stacked up, yeah, just trying to get it, trying to get into in the Pacific Ocean, trying to get into California. Apparently, there's this giant labor contract that's under renegotiation, and it comes to a head early summer. And if that is not handled properly, I mean, imagine how much. And that's the thing is, is none of these crises that this administration has caused, because because they're the reason for it. None of them have gone away. It's just that another problem pops up and takes over the news cycle. Right. Like our supply chain is still a mess. Energy prices continue to go up. It's we're shifting from crisis to crisis without any of them being solved. And the only the attempt place. is to try to explain it away. It's not to actually address it. Like this is a this is a moment made in time for like an East Wing speech to level with the American people about this and propose solutions. These guys don't have anything. They All literally had, have nothing. And, and they they're can't. insulting. Like Jen Psaki comes out and she's like, maybe you got to wait a w- another week or two for your Peloton to go have a margarita. Yeah. That's what you're telling people? Baby formula is being rationed in America. They're incapable of solving the problem. We're left with an octogenarian, an idiot, and a mayor to fix these problems. <laughs> and none of them are capable of doing any of it. And what's the mayor most famous for? Tearing down more homes in black neighborhoods than any mayor in the history. Of I always, I yeah, just that have to be a transportation that's, secretary. You know, if, if there's like a, if we ever just have to to sub in Ashbrook, just just an auto uh, dial on the on the board. Yeah, it's that line. It's that line. I feel like he drops it almost every episode. Um, but Biden doesn't give a shit. I mean, again, this is just this is basically just trying to get out from underneath the political problems. I think we even have audio of his latest. Uh, speech on this. Folks, the list goes on. I'm starting to bore myself here, but this is important stuff. Oh, I'm boring. My, I'm I think boring that's the myself. first time he's been relatable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you, I mean, we are very bored. You, finally, he's sharing the sentiment that every American has experienced. Yeah. And was that the one where the bird pooped on him? Oh, well, yeah. So, so what was the explanation? If you didn't see the video, he's giving this speech at where you just heard. And all of a sudden, uh, something drops out of the sky onto his shoulder that looks very much like. I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, but but they, you, you, but they, they can't even it, say right. they can't even they can't even explain that. Well, the explanation they gave was that it was corn uh, from like a silo or something. <laughs> the event was inside, 
which corn turned white and in in a, in a it, this was not ethanol that dropped out. Right. Yeah, yeah. Guys, it, it changed the phase of matter it was in. It's like defies <laughs> two laws of physics minimum. You guys realize that Joe Biden cannot go into and leave Iowa without a major cleanup project for his press secretaries. I mean, remember <laughs> when he ran for president in 1988 when he was in Iowa? Plagiarism. Oh yeah, giant right. scandal. Clean up on aisle nine. He's never I mean, had a lot honestly, of luck. it's no. probably one of the better cleanups when you're with Joe Biden. I mean, in Europe, he like shit himself. Yeah. At least now it's just the bird shit. It didn't mind. require a diaper and this bra- time. And, and Bracket Man didn't have to do anything, right? <laughs> Bracket Man. Bracket Man. If, if you haven't heard previous episodes, the hardest working man in show business is Bracket Man, whose job it is, is to correct the official record in presidential statements because there has never been a president and vice president who misspeaks more frequently. Yeah. Right. That requires Bracket Man to come in and actually say and what be like, it is here's he what he meant to say, to say folks. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you, do you guys remember the last time he was running for president and he was in Iowa? Look fat. Oh, yeah. he called oh, yeah. it yeah. Right. Call, and, then, and then they were like, oh, no, he said this is facts. Or what, what was yeah. that? Yeah. That's what the they said. They tried, they tried lying about that. Yeah. And it was straight up look fat. <laughs> <laughs> now it's not bird poop, it's actually he porn. Challenged, he challenged the guy to a push-up contest. <laughs> I think the record is pretty clear he was calling him fat. He was trying to call yeah. him fat. He was. <laughs> Look fat. All-time classic. All and then Iowa. the guy got in his mug. He wasn't going anywhere yeah. either. You know, he's not going to take well, But this time she was in, or he was in Iowa campaigning, I think, for Sydney or Sydney uh, Axney. Oh, yeah. this, the the House, this, House right. Democrat. Is this yeah. the lady that that got thrown off the ballot? No, no, no. That's Abby. Uh, oh yeah, thinking Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah but, I mean, actually, future former. That's right. I mean, what what a uh, what a dumb decision to bring Joe Biden into campaign for you when you won your seat by three points. I have a feeling she's going to be bye bye. Yeah. See you later. I mean, I, and I think we're going to start seeing a lot of that. Is uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussion of how poorly Biden is polling, but I think. A lot of Dems recognize, look, you're bra- they're stuck because their base now is just absolute Looney Tunes. Like, they've completely lost it. But at the same time, Joe Biden is, like, radioactive. I don't think you're going to see Joe Biden being asked to be out on the campaign right. trail Not for this at midterm. All. Right. At what point, like, here's a good question. At what point does Biden's approval rating and our inflation rate cross? That's the question. <laughs> That's the question where 8.5 was Biden at. Maybe like, is he in the 20s yet? Right. Well, so a new Reuters Ipsos poll uh, says here, as inflation surges, Biden's approval rating drops to 41%. Mm. Well, I'm, I, the second one, too, Political Morning cons- Consult shows that Biden's job approval rating amongst independents, 29 <laughs> 29. 29%. Honest, honestly, I hope his approval goes down to meet inflation, not the other way. Hell yeah. And it, it, I'll just say, like, as, a, as somebody who's done this for a, a long time, independents are not Republican voters, right? It, you generally try to, to you win it, try to win independents in good, in good voting conditions. But this is not, these are people that are not predisposed to conservative politics. They're very much environmental voters. Right. And there are there are commonly associated with suburban America. Right. Not, not when you say environmental, you don't mean the environmental issue. You're meaning the environment, the political, of the electorate. Right? Yeah, the political right. environment. Right. So it is entirely about what's happening predominantly in the economy. Right. Right. And that's the only way a Democrat could ever get into the 20s. Right. Is if you were in the lowest possible position with respect to 
overall approval of like economic issues. Well, yeah, and it goes back to the Wall Street Journal uh, kicker that that Ashbrook read earlier. It's like you can't hide the bad information from these people because they see it every day in their lives. Mm-hmm. Like they go to the grocery store, they see it. They go to the pump, they see it. There, There is no way that you can change that by saying, oh, it's Putin's fault. These yeah. people don't. These people don't watch MSNBC. You know? No, I know, I know. It, it, it's, like, why do they think that will work? <laughs> and, and I was I looking at I was looking at this polling of like, uh, what do you believe is the factor causing uh, inflation? And I think uh, among voters, it was maybe NBC that had Joe Biden at like forty percent, and and Russia Ukraine at nine percent. Like. Their lead, the tip of their spear of right. their messaging is of, of this is Ukraine and that they try to hammer every day is at 9%. Got them 9%. <laughs> oh. That 9% are the people who are interested in CNN+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very quickly, I just want to cover this because it's all over the news this week. A terrible story about a mass shooting in Brooklyn. They've arrested a subject named, a uh, suspect rather, named Frank James, who... Look, this this is a very troubled individual, clearly. Uh, but he's had a ton of social media posts. Turns out this guy is a total radical. The problem is, is that he doesn't fit the narrative of the mainstream media. So I'm curious, and I don't know the answer to this because we're going to see in the upcoming days, but anytime you see a shooter that fits the narrative of the mainstream media, it's talked about endlessly and used as a propaganda tool for eliminating your second amendment rights right. or you know everything else under the sun when somebody like the kenosha driver the, or not the, the uh, what was the the waukesha the, waukesha the waukesha uh the murderer who, who during a christmas parade ran over people in a parade this is a guy who was previously arrested for running over his girlfriend at a gas station and and and, and, and he was like not, this guy had posted radical right uh, videos and and you know what the, in this specific case I, I I even hesitate using the term radical because you see the video so so Blake Masters who's running for Senate in Arizona uh, got uh, got video and he posted it on Twitter of of this guy Frank James uh, ranting on 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 what's motivating him and you know what it sounds no different than any other speech. That 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 us, any of the CRT that's right speaking that's circuit right. folks give of basically uh, advocating that like oh uh, you know white people are irredeemable and 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 there has to be a price to be paid. I mean, it sounded almost exactly like what you would hear right from and, and any this, of these and, CRT. Yeah. And Frank Frank James is is black, and his opinion uh, of white people in these YouTube videos that have been posted now online is like. You know, it's what happens when critical race theory becomes critical race reality. That's a that, like when there you, you go. When, that's it right when there. You train, that's it right there. When it's you critical train, race practice. Right. When you train people to think that race is the reason why everything's wrong in the world, like these are the violent things that happen. And it doesn't matter if you're white or black or whatever. Totally. But like, I, I just think this is the extremist ideology right. that needs to be completely purged from this country and that's point the problem is th- this extremist ideology that now you're trying you're, you're seeing these these uh i hesitate to call them teachers they're activists who, who are trying to push this upon children in public schools this is this is one of the issues that that you know because of covid parents are seeing what their kids have been being taught and and teachers have been pushing the same kind of ideology that this guy espouses 
to kids. It's the most poisonous ideology you've ever heard of. You're you're bad because of the way you look. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it just it's like, like racism and Calvinism in one. <laughs> it's like you're predestined to yeah. be a terrible person by the color of your skin. An additional wrinkle to this is is the fact that Frank James had twelve prior arrests, nine in New York and three in New Jersey. Um, we've talked a lot about the leniency of the left mm-hmm. on violent criminals. I don't. I haven't gone through all twelve arrests. I haven't. I haven't gone. I don't know what all he was arrested for. But listen. All there's this, something to be said about 12 arrests. It, uh, there's something to be said about this, it's right? more than one. The, clearly a dangerous individual if he's had 12 arrests and he had the kind of content that he was posted online. Yeah. Right? And you wonder how it is that somebody like this didn't get a knock on you the You know, door. what strikes me is the craziest right? part of, right. of, of this whole situation, the wildest thing is that he chose to go out and, and kill and attack people Instead of hitting the speaking circuit, because he would he'd be able to say the same shit, <laughs> believe the same shit, and yeah. he, could, he could buy himself a mansion. Right, Jesus. Yeah, no, it's it's a horrible story. We're gonna stay on it because I do want to see how this develops. If 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 they prove me wrong and by weeks in we're still talking about this, I will be delighted. I just call me skeptical. Mm-hmm. Call me skeptical. Mm-hmm. Um, to lighten it up a little bit, did you guys see this story in the New York Post? About, I mean, this is dude, this is when you know rich people have too much money. There's a a, a person who gets paid ten thousand dollars to name your baby. Hell yeah, this is <laughs> great. See this? Uh, let me just read that. Expect expectant parents are paying upwards of fifteen hundred dollars to a professional baby namer who picks the perfect moniker for their child. Taylor A. Humphrey, thirty three. Helped name more than a hundred babies in 2020, ranking uh, raking in more than 150 thousand dollars from cashed up couples. I mean, that's good work if you can get it. I, I was just gonna say I don't know whether to hate this or love this. No, I love this. Do I, you? I love this because because you're, you're basically stripping dumb rich people of their money. That's what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not for a lot of like redistribution of wealth uh, in this country by the government. I am 100% in favor of dumb people being separated from their money when they have too much of it. 100%. Allow the private sector to work. Yes. Reacquainting them with their humble roots. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to see. So, so I'm, I'm looking through this article. It doesn't say like there's there's no like a, a review of did you get a quality baby name that you pay for from these parents? Because like if you're outsourcing the baby naming, because typically that's like, you know, you, you ask in my opinion, your mother, your grandmother, you know, you're, you're polling the family. Yeah. What are some good names for the kids? So, so the fact that you're throwing 1500 on this, it better be like, you know, a hell of a stunner of a name. Here, here's my question, because again, there is, it doesn't seem like there's any profile for who these parents ultimately are, but I have a guess, right? Don't you think that these are younger parents of, with way too much money, yeah. probably like third yeah. generation wealth, yeah. Yeah. who yeah. are overwhelmed yeah. with the anxiety yes. of having to make that ultimate decision themselves. They don't know what to do. And ultimately, they have to turn it over to somebody. They, they, to they already deal with, or, or you know, they, they have can't. to live on Beacon Hill and, and they got to pack up the car to get to Nantucket. And, and they're done dealing with all that. They're like, just someone name my baby. Or maybe, maybe, uh, maybe they've got like a grandma or a mother or a father who's pressuring them to go a specific direction with the name, and this is their escape hatch, right? They're like, look, it's out of our hands. We have a professional who's going to 
come up with the best name for our child, our hands are tied. Yeah. That's a <laughs> rational interpretation. Oh, so, so, so this is kind of interesting. So it says in the article, it says, recently, the innovative entrepreneur chose the name, the, chose the baby name Parks. For a couple who had their first kiss in a town called Parker. <laughs> God, pay me, pay me $1,500 yeah. to go. come yeah. up with that. Actually, if you're having this problem and you're listening to the program, send over a check. I'm sure the fellas here on Ruthless <laughs> Friday the program. Pick the amount. We, we don't set a minimum. Uh, you, you know, it's interesting is that uh, this lady listed her top names, uh, Grady, Wilson, Waylon, and Fletcher. Uh, I don't know about all of that. I will say Waylon. Uh, yeah. I lobbied hard for our second child to be named uh, Waylon. I mean, that's a great name. Because our, yeah. uh, our first was named William. And I thought having Will, Willie and Waylon uh, was a hell of a thing. Yeah. Right? My wife didn't see it that way. No. <laughs> you got to take her to Lukenbach, Texas. That's exactly right. <laughs> I should have played this song a few more times. I'm sure that would have done it. Uh, so we started talking about CNN Plus, fellas. Um. Yeah, we better we better finish this segment fast. That might not be a thing before we. It might not be. I might not be a thing. <laughs> Let's spike the football on their grave, folks. Yeah. So so we mentioned that they had fewer than ten thousand daily viewers. Um, people are going nuts. A lot of reports, insider reports, about Chris Wallace who left Fox News for CNN Plus, being absolutely pissed off about this. Oh no! <laughs> I, mean, I got to be honest. Like you know. He deserves this. Like, he's been so awful. But such all, a problem, and this is what you get, buddy. All you wanted to be a buddy to live your whole life, and this is what you get. This is, but, you, you know, you wanted to sing and dance for him and, and have him like you, and this is what you get. Who knows? You might get a pink slip by the end of the week, buddy. But the real interesting part about it is all, all this rollout came before Discovery took the thing over. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like... You can foresee a situation where this just goes away entirely. Yeah. But what I'm trying to come up with, and maybe this was, the, I think this is the last remnants of, of the Zucker sort of vision for CNN that drove viewership to all-time lows mm -hmm. and then would profess its success on everything that, oh, record uh, record amount of uh, advertising revenue or whatever. We have nobody watching our shows, but somehow corporate America is funding our future. Right. They put this into play when they've driven viewership down to record lows and then they re <laughs> launch something called CNN Plus. So all the people who aren't watching CNN, how many of those people are going to want CNN Plus? Right. Like just in its name. <laughs> just so, more, more of something I choose not to watch. So this is, right? th yeah. this is a little tangential, but in the same vein, speaking about what Zucker accomplished at CNN, who he enabled, what, what, the, what, what the culture was like there. Uh, the Free Beacon about a day ago uh, broke this story that Chris Cuomo aired a bizarre segment in 2017 on CNN praising WeWork. It turns out that a former colleague who accused Cuomo of sexual misconduct was doing public relations for WeWork. The segment was aired to keep her quiet. Wow. Oh. So, Wait, so you know whose story is that? That Free was Beaks. that was Eliana Johnson. Wow. Mm. You're, you're never you're never going to be able to rewatch that old Cuomo episode if you don't subscribe. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, how, yeah, how, how are you? Subscribe to CNN Plus. Yep. You can get a vault of us. Yeah, you know, trying to cover up like the the, the sex crimes that these people are committing. <laughs> but Running think about PR. I mean, like, how morally bankrupt was that place under Zucker? Think about how dumb these guys are for so many reasons. I mean, we are sitting in this room right now, four chuckleheads who plugged a USB port into our computer mm -hmm. and recorded over Zoom for six months. Yeah, and we have. 
I mean, magnitudes, magnitudes more. Not not even CNN plus CNN yeah, regular right. CNN. Time, we get we get, we have bigger numbers than their prime bigger time numbers than their primetime audience. If you have a billion dollar company to and, and like hundreds of millions of dollars in promotional budget, and you still can't make it work. We've spent zero dollars and zero cents on promotion. Yeah, the but you program. know what, Holmes? I feel the same way about this as I feel the a, market. A, well, yeah, right. I feel the same way about this as I feel about the rich people paying a professional baby namer. I love dumb rich people being separated from their money. <laughs> Spend more on CNN Plus. It's going to turn around. <laughs> Speaking of dumb rich people, uh, there's a new posting at the at the Washington Post. Oh, I Post. love that. Oh, Great yeah. segue. <laughs> I mean, that's a dunk. <laughs> All-timer. So, uh, there's a new job posting. This was posted by Wash Post PR. And the Washington Post is looking for an enterprising reporter. This is the, like this is so amazing. Yeah. Based in Texas to document life in red state America and develop a new beat mapping out the culture, public policies, and politics in a region shaped by conservative ideology. Once again, <laughs> once again, like a foreign exchange student right. in their own the, country. The, the first thing that came to my mind when I read this posting was the, the old show, Wild America. Did you guys watch that? Oh, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With John Marty, Stau- yeah, Marty Stauffer. Stauffer. Yeah, great, yeah great. he would go out and he would look at the, he would like face the bears. And I just, the way this is written, it's like they're trying to hire the next Marty Stauffer. Yeah, right. Explain and, these and red I, state animals to your coastal editors. This makes so clear the bubble that they live in and the and and as a result of that the complete lack of self-awareness that they think going out to a certain part of america and spending time with their fellow countrymen is, is like this ethnological study like a like a foreign exchange we've program we've got the wild texan yeah. here right they're eating chili. well i can almost guarantee you this if they find somebody who they would deem acceptable for this position an enterprising reporter based in texas guarantee mark my words that person will actually be based in Austin. Oh, and, oh there you go. And, and that person will like live in South Congress, you know, and go to Joe's oh, yeah. e- Joe's every yeah, day and pay th- five dollars right. for a nice coffee and have no fucking clue how people live in Midland and Odessa and, and the rest of Texas. And cover it like right, you're co- going to the Wahatsu right. tribe <laughs> in, be, in the middle of Africa. But they'll be like they'll be like these conservatives. They're just like us. They're actually liberals. And it's like no, you just live in the liberal dot in the middle of the biggest red state in America. Or or, or, or like so misinformed. Yeah. <laughs> These people are so misinformed. Yeah. They well, don't understand the way that the economy works. Like there was a there was a Washington Post. Uh, I think Aaron Blake wrote a uh, Washington Post piece this week that was trying to explain the polling and how people didn't believe that this was a good economy. You know, they cited all these numbers about the success of job creation under Joe Biden and how dumb are the American people not to recognize such a thing. Right. It's like some variation of that. Right. Right. Some variation. That's exactly that. what it's going to be. I mean, you could you could put the most legit conservative reporter in this job. You literally could. And all of the editors working in Washington would take the string and be like, that's not that's not the angle. That's not the angle. These people don't know what's good for them. Let's tell them inflation actually is transitory. Tell them, tell them it's not as bad for them. Let's tell them that's a, that's an equitable recovery. Yeah. Oh, that's right. This is equity. And let's action. critique the the art on the walls of their Rambler. Right. Yeah. Right. right or like right. you know, it's just some right. sort of impossible. It's, tell me just, about the. Tell me about how many times they went to the Olive Garden. They're so just I can make fun of them. <laughs> yeah. They're just they're just gonna find two 
quote unquote Republicans who are voting for Beto O'Rourke that's for right. governor, yeah, that's and right. then they're going to close up shop. That's going to be the extent of this bullshit. None I can't wait. <laughs> I really want to follow up on this, and I think this might be uh, ruthless reporting. We've done this before. But I think that we're going to have to follow up with the Washington Post yeah, to figure if, out if they hire if they someone. I want to like every article. I want to shred it. Yeah, live on the show. It'd be a good It'd reading a series. It's yeah. the most ridiculous shit I've be I've a seen. segment. All right, uh, fellas, let's get to this interview. I think you're going to love this. I know we had a good time recording it. I want to welcome to the program here in studio the illustrious <laughs> Attorney General Bill Barr. Welcome. Thank you very much great to be here oh well, listen it's a pleasure to have you here this is uh this is fun obviously you're selling a book uh one damn thing after another which the great. title is fantastic <laughs> and you and you explain that yeah. uh as someone who's watched a ton of your interviews i was pleased to read this book because it actually contains more than the first seven pages <laughs> <laughs> of a book itself where it explains the, the sort of right. end of your tenure with the Trump administration, but it turns out you got, I don't know, 400 pages of additional material to go through. <laughs> so uh, hats off for being able to suffer through all the interviews that you have. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> um, here's what, this is what boils down to me, and this is, this is what I've admired about you for a long time. You seem to give zero shits about what anybody thinks. <laughs> I think that's true. Is yeah. that a fair assessment? <laughs> that's fair. Yes. So, uh, look, I think uh, people who don't, who haven't read your book would say, okay, well, that's probably a product of somebody who's had a long career, they're at the end of their career, and they've kind of just decided that they're going to call balls and strikes, and, and that's it. But it seems like you've had that sort of throughout your career. Uh, from the very beginning throughout, uh, you've been a bit of a contrarian. To some extent, I think that's the way I was raised, really. You know, I grew up in an academic family in the Upper West Side in New York. <laughs> we were Republicans uh, in Bella Abzug's district. You know, she was a socialist. Uh, <laughs> and uh, when when our family went to the polls, people would say, oh, here come the Republicans, all six of them. You know? <laughs> uh, they turned out 100% this year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, my parents always taught me from the beginning, taught all of us uh, in the family, don't, don't care what other people think. You know, we don't want to hear what other people are doing. Do what you know to be right. And um, so that's the way we've always been. Well, you certainly have done that. I, one thing that struck me um, is that you have some, some, I mean, you're obviously an intellectual guy. You're a, you're a practical guy, which I, I glean you've got from your mother. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, but you have some observations about the threat of the modern left mm -hmm. that I think is really interesting in this book. And I wonder if you want to help explain that a little bit to our audience. Yeah, I, th I think we've uh, really reached a tipping point on the, on the trajectory of left-wing politics in this country. Um, I think, you know, basically there are two traditions in the West. There is what I call the Anglo-American political tradition, uh, which maximizes personal freedom, limited government, and so forth, that evolved very painstakingly over centuries. And then you have the tear-it-all-down uh, tradition of the French Revolution, which is that human beings 
uh, are really corrupted by institutions and, and the society and that we have to tear it all down and then build an earthly nirvana <laughs> using, you know, and, and we, we can achieve heaven on earth because there is no real heaven. And that's, you know, that's... When government is your religion, right? Right. That's the, and, yeah. and, and so they're all, their religion is... Um, uh, essentially secular materialism, uh, the, the idea that they're on the right side of history and that history consists of tearing down what's here today, all human conventions, traditions, and institutions, and creating some uh, perfect society, which, of course, has undergirded communism, socialism, always. And they're very good at tearing down, but they've never created anything that works. And so they have... The reason things are so bitter today is, and I said it's you know it's no longer a fight within the family; it's a feud between two very different families, and because they have left the liberal democratic tradition, so we're not no longer talking about a spectrum uh, within the liberal tradition. People a little bit more to the left, people a little bit more to the right. We're talking about them leaving that tradition altogether, and they have adopted the totalitarian temperament that that involves they they're they're against free speech they're not even engaging in discussion of ideas they have you know basically uh either silence you or attack you ad hominem mm -hmm. but I, I i haven't heard a real substantive discussion from the left uh in 30 years <laughs> i mean I, I think that's a really interesting thing and i think uh, I, I want to hear your thoughts so so vox had uh, an article they wrote recently about elon musk starting to take an interest in Twitter and what that could mean. Mm -hmm. It says, but it's difficult to tune out Elon Musk, which underscores the reach he has as a famed tech entrepreneur and wealthiest man in the world. If his recent tweets are anything to go by, Musk is suggesting that he'll try to use his stake in Twitter to turn it into the ultimate bastion of unhindered speech, which is the opposite free speech. Is a threat. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, yeah. I, I, you know, first not many years ago I mean when I was younger every it was sticks and stones can break your bones you know the idea that speech is dangerous to anybody uh, is sort of ridiculous and the answer to speech that you don't agree with or think is wrong is more speech right and uh, you know people don't understand what the whole idea of the marketplace of ideas was supposed to be the framers believed uh, they believed there was objective truth they didn't believe that you know, all views are necessarily as good as every other view, but they felt that truth would rise to the top through a free market uh, of ideas and through the give and take of debate. And um, people don't understand that. Yeah. Well, one, one of the things that I, I, I thought was interesting is you actually put some framework in there about the enforcers of the modern left. Right. Right. It, it, namely, the media. Right. And, and now corporations. And now corporations, which I was right. going to say, I, I thought one of the most interesting um, paragraphs you had in there was was specifically calling out how corporate America and the media have sort of joined together right. to try to limit speech, limit right. limit any sort of actions that fit outside of a progressive narrative. Right. And um, the corporate... Uh, Alliance has really come about, as I say, because it, it goes back to the idea that everyone wants to be in the cool crowd. You know, mm. they want to be with it. This is a deep-seated need of many people. You don't seem and, to have that. By the way. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, I, I was handing out Barry Goldwater literature in 1964 in the Upper West Side of New York. <laughs> right, that, and, and people that that, that <laughs> champion of lost causes, <laughs> people that people that decide to pick up bagpiping at a young age, right. don't, <laughs> right. don't don't tend to want to be in the cool crowd. <laughs> right, right. But as I say in the book, most people you know can go, uh, grow beyond that by high by the end of high school. But there are a lot of people in the C-suite in corporate America that just want to be cool. Yeah. And and, you know, I don't think you know, much of many of the uh, much of the corporate leadership of of, you know, the big public companies nowadays, because I think they tend to be very short sighted. They're interested in getting their stock options and moving into a retirement community, you know, golf community. And so their horizon is only that far. And um, they're cowards. They're moral cowards. Uh and, uh, and allow all kinds of uh, inequity to be done in the name of equity. So, right. Yeah. And, right. and along those lines, what I'd like to get your input on is specifically you see these large social media companies trying to have a clampdown and an ability to determine what the truth is, what is disinformation. And I think the context specifically of the Hunter Biden laptop and the way the New York Post, Alexander Hamilton's newspaper, was able to be silenced by Twitter. Right. Which... You know, is ironic because when you talk about the skewing of an election or the interference in an election, what was done with that one episode was far more impactful, I think, than what turned out to be the extent of Russian quote interference mm-hmm. in two thousand. Yeah, it was what like ten thousand dollars in Facebook ads. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it, every media company <laughs> having a blackout. Right. I mean, it, 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 the 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 main thing was the hack and dump. Mm-hmm. The, the the stuff on 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 uh, the on the on the internet was was de minimis, but uh, and what was the hack and dump? It was stealing some emails that showed there was fighting going on between Hillary Clinton and and Bernie. You know, surprise! It's I a mean, primary, it was, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm not saying that that wasn't wrong. Of course, it was wrong, but and it was meant to embarrass Hillary and hurt Hillary. But look what look what um, they did with uh, the the uh, Hunter Biden's laptop. Completely suppressed it so that most people weren't even aware of it. And polls show that one sixth of uh, Biden's supporters would have not voted for him had they known about that. That's pretty impactful. Is that is that one of the of all the concerns that you have now that you're away from the office? How high does that rank in terms of your your concerns about American democracy, our ability to purvey information in a real way, as opposed to, you know, I mean, look, we used to do this between five media outlets, a couple of networks, and everybody, it was conventional wisdom left, but you, you kind of knew how to handle it. Now, when you have everybody sort of banding together to do something like what you just talked about with eliminating any discussion of Hunter Biden's laptop... Mm-hmm. It, we're, is this just alarming as hell from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the um, suppression of free speech and the concentration of voices and, and you know into into a few companies that control the public discourse or a big chunk of public discourse is serious. But it's one of multiple problems, like most pro- serious problems. It has a lot of different facets to it. Another one is the collapse of our educational system yeah. and the creation of zombies. I mean, <laughs> uh, a, a, a robust, rich public discourse uh, is largely wasted on people who, you know, 
aren't, don't really care about ideas and uh, just follow the conventional wisdom or, or what they're told to, you know, what they're told to believe by their peers and by the idiots on the <laughs> university faculties. Right. Do you think also the flip side of that Hunter Biden laptop story, the flip side of the media was also, you know, people in the law enforcement and intelligence services, you know, Mm -hmm. organizations you're obviously very familiar with who decided to take a public stand and declare something Russian disinformation that they had no knowledge of whether that was true or not. How do you think, you know, stuff like that impacts public trust and institutions that are obviously very important to you? Well, it's very serious, uh, undercutting the, the trust in the intelligence agencies and the FBI. I mean, one of the reasons I was distressed on the outside during the first two years of the Trump administration was the extent to which the FBI had lost the confidence of, uh, you know, Republicans, essentially, which is a natural constituency, has been a natural constituency of mm -hmm. theirs. And... Uh, but it, it, it has to do with the politicization of everything. When you, when you are essentially a revolutionary who views everything through the prism of politics, of gaining political power, uh, because that is the way to earthly salvation and meaning in people's lives, I mean, on the left, then everything is political. And uh, it's insinuated itself into, into everything. And so I found, coming back to government after 28 years, that the rank and file was far, far more, in agencies, was far more politicized than they were before. Hmm. Uh, and... Uh, uh, From career? Yes, career, career. Okay. Career. Yeah. And uh, it was sort of alarming to me. Uh, now... Uh, I, you know, a goodly number still were thoroughly professional and and could make the calls without allowing their politics to affect it to one degree or another. But there was an increased number of people who I thought were acting in a partisan fashion. Yeah, I, you mentioned in your book George H. W. Bush when he took over the CIA basically just came in. Yeah. Right, and yeah. just sort of directed the the CIA. Right. With somebody else's staff, essentially, right, and and could operate that way. Yeah, he came in with just his, his personal assistant, and uh, he uh, stood up for the agency, and and uh, he was loved. And in one year tenure, uh, you know, uh, he became a great director, and they named the <laughs> the campus after him. I mean, that shows it's an you impact. What, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, so so I have a question. You'd mentioned you're a two-time attorney general. So you definitely have a lot of expertise in this. Um, I want to kind of give you a theoretical. <laughs> oh, this is a smug hypothetical. Yeah. Brace yourself. Yeah. So, so I'm going to give you a fact pattern. Let's say there's a guy. We'll call him Bro Jiden. And he has a son, and we'll call him Bunter. And see, Bunter isn't the best guy. He likes his cocaine and hookers. But he's also very lucky because his father, Mr. Jiden, is a very important person in the United States. So Bunter goes to another country and gets millions of dollars of contracts with the implication that Mr. Jiden is making the deal sail through. How would you go about prosecuting that kind of case? <laughs> well, I have to be careful on this answer. Uh, it's a theoretical. Well. <laughs> but uh, so I wouldn't jump to the conclusion that the first question is, how do you prosecute the case? You know, at first, first you have to f see if there was something that's actually criminal there. Uh, 
Um, and what the Democrat critics of Trump forgot when he first took office, and they were claiming that all the business relationships they had and their kids' activities, his kids' activities were, were terrible, uh, is that the conflict of interest laws don't apply to the president or the vice president. So if you're the president or vice president and your kid goes off and is working for something and you make a decision that might affect that, that for everybody else in government, that could be a problem, but not for the president or the vice president. So just the fact that he's making money, uh, and even though it, it looks like selling the office or monetizing your, your, your father's office, uh, it wouldn't necessarily be a crime. Which is interesting, I was just going to say, because I think you go in several places throughout your book and, and delineate the difference between ethics and legality, right? Yeah. I mean, this came up in the context of Comey, yeah. for example. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, one of the things that's most frustrating for me is people on the Republican side of things uh, acting like a lynch mob. The ugliest characters in any Western movie are the lynch mob. They're usually ignorant, and they have no sense of justice. The criminal justice process, to me, is a, is a specialized uh, arena where we purposely make it very hard to prove a crime against somebody. The standard is the highest it can be, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the evidence you need. And the department says we don't bring cases and indict people unless we think we have that evidence sufficient to prove that crime. So you're talking about an arena in which it's very hard to prove criminal liability. And one of the things I think both parties have done, the Democrats started it, uh, but you know the Republicans have uh, caught up, is to try to uh, use the criminal justice process as a political tool. And what they end up doing is instead of actually getting the uh, facts out that show perhaps moral corruption, they shift the focus from that as to whether or not the crime has been committed. Hmm. And then it becomes, is the person going to be indicted? And if they're not indicted, then everything's hunky-dory. And as a result, they never get the facts out. Hmm. So I think both si uh, the Republicans have been making this mistake, which as soon as something bad happens, they make the issue whether people are going to be indicted. Now, I understand there's a thirst for you know people getting their due, but that that's a process that that takes time. It doesn't go according to the political schedule. If we enter into a world where the Department of Justice you know drops indictments because of the political calendar and their mm -hmm. political effect, that's a very bad thing. So right now the left is hammering away at Merrick Garland because they want him to get scalps. Right. And we're sitting there. We don't want him to do, you know, we want him to be fair to people and actually make sure the evidence is there before indictments are brought. And that was the position I was in at an attorney general. And you, yeah. t you, t you talk about this, obviously, on, on, on the Comey issue of choosing not to, you know, yeah. prosecute. But, James but, Comey. Right. And, and, on, on, a, on a particular issue, which right. was the unauthorized disclosure of information. So just to go back to that January 6th meeting at Trump Tower. You're talking about the initial right. meeting. Yeah, talking about the Pete <clears throat> tape. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Donald Trump gets you know elected. President of the United States, he's, he's president-elect at the time. 
all of these former intelligence and DOD and law enforcement officials, you know, they're signing public letters saying he should never have his finger on the button. Clearly, a lot of these people oppose him. I'm just trying to, for our listeners, put you in the frame of mind of Donald Trump president-elect. And James Comey walks into Trump Tower. Congratulations, Mr. President-elect. Um, did you pee on some Russian prostitutes? <laughs> you know? Did you... Um, there's this dossier of information, um, and I'm disclosing it for your benefit because the media has this, and I don't want you to be caught unaware. But he doesn't tell Donald Trump at the time that, you know, this is opposition research from the Clinton campaign, which we found out from Bruce Orr's testimony because his wife, Nellie Orr, worked for Fusion GPS, right. that in the summer of 2016, he had told people at the FBI the providence of this is Hillary Clinton, and you know we should be skeptical of the material therein. He doesn't tell the president-elect that information, and then of course it gets leaked out after the fact, justifying you know the the media hook that they were looking for. And I understand that there were people who Donald Trump was listening to outside of the administration who are expecting these prosecutions and indictments, and it's all what you can prove. Obviously, as you've said here in the book. But do you think what James Comey did there was unethical in that meeting? Yeah, well, I've I've said repeatedly that I've never understood what basis the FBI had. I've never seen a legitimate basis for initiating a counterintelligence investigation. And I believe the behavior of the senior people at the the Bureau is inexplicable uh, and, to me, raises a lot of red flags. But... Uh, one of the things that I've said from the very beginning, including my very first interview for CBS, um, Jan Crawford, was that uh, when you're dealing with government officials who are performing official acts that are within their discretion, like we're worried about a foreign intelligence threat here, we're going to take these actions, to prove that that's a crime Mm -hmm. is very hard because it all has to do with their mental state. And unless you can find some really, you know, clear-cut evidence of what they uh, they had a corrupt mental state, it's virtually impossible right. to establish. Which is the principle behind my ability to say that Volume Two of of the Mueller report about the president's obstructive acts could be disposed. Could many of those could be disposed of because they didn't have evidence of corrupt intent. Hmm. So. You and I could look at the pattern of events, the actions of the FBI, and I think a lot of normal people would say we, they know exactly what happened there. But for people to reach judgments like that in everyday life, cause who lives their lives based on proof beyond a reasonable doubt of everything they believe? <laughs> Zero. Right, okay? right. So if someone has been prosecuted and gets acquitted of pedophilia, you're not necessarily going to hire them as a babysitter just mm-hmm. because they were acquitted, right? <laughs> That's how people make decisions, and we have to remember that. And so I, I think one of the important things of accountability is going to be the Durham report, yeah. which whether or not he can, apart from whether he can indict people, will tell the story. And I think that will speak volumes as to what actually happened there. Did you have, getting to the Durham report, <clears throat> when you authorized all of that, um, did you have an inkling that the, origination of all of this 
was exactly what we've now come to find out that there was this Sussman character and and their interaction with the FBI was you know undisclosed at some you had enough information at that point to know that John Durham was going to get to something it just would take some time uh when I appointed him yeah yes I knew that he was turning up things that mm-hmm. I thought were um you know, would could bear fruit because I the the reason I find this so fascinating is because at the time the conventional wisdom was entirely 180 degrees in a different direction in terms of what happened with Russia Gate. Even when you came out and had your press conference before the Mueller report and clearly delineated what it says and what it doesn't say, which God bless you by the way. Um, even then. There wasn't the suggestion that all of this was basically an oppo or could have been an oppo campaign that started with the Clinton campaign and basically wrapped in the Department of Justice and everything else. That that was still undisclosed as of, you know, six, eight months ago, essentially. Well, officially, uh, in, in other words. The, but internally, you, you had but, some idea. But, you know, I give credit to a lot of the Republicans in Congress, uh, on the House side particularly, who... But also uh, some of the senators who uncovered a lot of this during the first two years of the Trump administration without the help of, uh, you know, uh, subpoenas in many cases. Yeah. Yeah. Like that we had Cash Patel on who talked about Devin Nunez. Yeah. I think Devin Nunez and that group really developed a lot of information. And uh, by the time I I came – well – when this first popped up, I was obviously in the private sector. Uh, I was very suspicious of yeah. the whole thing. You wrote a memo. Yeah, but even before the memo, I mean, uh, just when, when Trump was elected and this stuff started leaking out, uh, I was very suspicious of the whole thing. It didn't add up to me. Uh, and then the more I learned, uh, even before I went into office, from what the Republicans on the Hill were discovering, the more suspicious I became. Uh, but then certainly when I went inside and saw what, happened with the uh, uh, the work of the inspector general on the uh, on the FISA warrants and stuff like that you know it became pretty clear to me what hmm. what was going on well so so given this given how, how how there was this kind of coordinated effort to push this campaign it was essentially a campaign of misinformation is what it was and then you tie that with the situation of where you had large media companies and large social media companies if uh, blocking the Hunter laptop uh, story, which we now know there's a lot of truth there, do you think Trump got a bit of a raw deal in that election? Of, of in which their, election? In, in the 2020 election. Of, oh, there absolutely. Were, there were four years of oh, where absolutely. the public's But Republicans, I mean, I take it as table stakes in today's world <laughs> that the Republicans get a raw deal in elections. But also I think people have to start distinguishing between you know, the different ways elections can be skewed. Uh, first, uh, there are things like, you know, the media's unfairness and suppressing news and so forth. Uh, uh, there are things like uh, Zuckerberg's expenditures. Now, I assume someone's going to take a look and see if any laws were broken there. But, you know, th- those are things that changes the playing field, that change the playing field or skew it. Then you have um, rule changes that are that are lawful to make but they favor one party over mm-hmm. the other. Like, you know, we're not going to require IDs or, or things like that. So 
that those are things that aren't necessarily illegal. I mean, we have to take a look at the Zuckerberg expenditures, but they're not necessarily illegal, but they, they skew the playing field seriously. And the corruption of the media is probably one of the main things that does that. Uh, then you have what most of the violations in 2020 were, which were uh, failure to follow rules. So when someone um, doesn't require an application for an absentee ballot, uh, when they re you know eliminate Republican observers, I'm not sure that happened. Whether there were violations of anti uh, of the uh, uh, what do you call it harvesting rules, mm -hmm. those things that increase those are those can be illegal acts. Like if you go out and break the law and harvest, but it doesn't mean you throw out the ballots. It doesn't mean the ballots are illegal. You still have to, sh to get any relief, you still have to show that those ballots were illegal. And so saying the rules were broken uh, means obviously that people did bad things, but it doesn't necessarily mean the election was stolen. Does that mean we should ignore it? Does that mean we should you know, let these things happen? No. And then the third thing are actual instances where illegal votes were cast and counted or valid votes were not counted. That's fraud. That's election fraud. That's the, th the thing that the Department of Justice has jurisdiction over. Almost all the claims being made during, uh, right after the election were the rules weren't followed. Now, a lot of those were not true, but even if they were true, it didn't necessarily mean the votes were changed. Uh, the votes were illegal. So... Um, it's really fascinating because one of the things that comes through in several different chat, you talk about the first impeachment, mm -hmm. and then you really get that at this in the post-election, um, your view of what was happening and the advice that President Trump was getting. It seems pretty clear, at least from the reading of your book, you really think like President Trump was underserved in many ways, both with legal advice, advice of people surrounding him, that he'd basically been put in a vulnerable situation with respect to... Ukraine and the first impeachment, but also the information that he was getting post-election. Yeah, he was he was disserved by people on the outside who didn't know what they were talking about and didn't have to bear the consequences right. of the advice they were given. You know, you know, go and seize the machines, go do this, go do that. And it was like the people who were advising, you know, to send the 82nd Airborne into Portland, Oregon, when that was sort of the last vestige of... <laughs> Of, uh, you know, that would have been a good election. You know? I thought, you know, you would have had you would have had every city in the United States, re, you know, resume uh, rioting, and we would have run out of regular troops to put out in the field. So, <laughs> fighting ourselves in the middle of an election year. So, I mean, there were all these. Well, but but I, well, I, I say he was disserved, but you know, he does have this penchant for. Uh, uh, wanting his way and listening to people who tell him he can get his way and tell him what he wants to hear. And specifically, uh, you made reference to, to Rudy. And, yeah. and at one point, and I'd forgotten this until I read your book, they sort of lumped you in together with Rudy mm -hmm. as meddling around in Ukraine trying to find Apo on Hunter Biden. And you took great exception to that, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> because, you know... I was, from the very beginning, I, I said, look, stay away from the Ukraine because it's smoke and mirrors. There's all these agendas there. It's, there's a lot of corruption. You don't know what you're dealing with there. And Rudy would go over and, you know, he was investigating and, and trying to 
develop the, it was all designed to have the Ukrainians investigate uh, the firing of Shokin and whether you know there was some corruption there with Biden. Uh, I thought that was a stupid gambit, uh, and um, uh, would get you know would would lead to no good. And and uh, one of Trump's problems is that uh, when he wants something, <laughs> and the and the normal channels will say no, you know he sometimes tries and runs with his. Keystone Cop operatives, <laughs> and and it turns out bad, and it, and and the impeachment, uh, the Ukrainian uh, affair, and the January sixth thing are, are those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, both his greatest asset and greatest liability. Right. right? I think his impulsiveness and his, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for. You know, he uh, unwillingness to take no for an answer uh, served him well in some ways. You know, it, it did allow him to push things through and overcome the inertia of uh, the bureaucracy in Washington and keep his promises on a lot of fronts. Immigration, et cetera. Yeah, you right. talked about this in the, Just, in the book. That was, that was trench warfare, getting that stuff. What We fixed the system. I mean, we did establish yeah. control over the border. But uh, and that's because partly of his indomitability and his willingness to push and take a punch. So I give him credit for that in the book. But part of the the, the bad side of that is that uh, you know he he sometimes gets bad ideas and it's very hard to 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 keep him on track. Now up until the election, we were able to do that. And when you know when the mainstream media. Uh, says to me, well, why haven't you come out? Why didn't you come out earlier? About what? I was happy with the administration up to the election. I mean, it was getting frustrating for me and other cabinet secretaries who had to tussle with them to to keep things uh, on the straight and narrow. But uh, we did. We succeeded. Uh, He was frustrated with me because I wasn't dropping indictments that helped his election. But... uh, I was fine up up until the election, and then afterward, there was really no talking sense to him. So I got to get your reaction to, I know what my reaction was, but post-election results are in. What's your reaction to, I don't know if you watched it live, this press conference with Rudy Giuliani and and all of the attorneys where he's got ink running down the side of his face. You're sitting at the DOJ ostensibly in charge of investigating what they're talking about. I mean, what's your reaction to that? Well, I think everyone was horrified. (laughs) You know, Trump, the the election was not a well, the election machinery, the campaign machinery for was not a well-oiled machine. They ran out of money in the middle of the election. They had tons of money. They ran out of money. Um, the A lot of lawyers from around the country, very prominent, highly regarded lawyers, expressed an interest in getting involved right after the election. You know, before the election came, mm-hmm. they said, you know, someone has to be litig- get litigating these cases. Because of all of the new The stuff that COVID was going on. They, we laws. needed a much more aggressive legal campaign to fight right. against some of those things before the election, get the things taken care of beforehand. He was not really uh, interested in that. I know a lawyer who went to him in, in the spring um, of 2020 and said, look, you know, I think there's a case to be made down in Georgia, and I think we need to, nah, 
uh, you know, I'm going to win this election. I'm going to get my base out and so forth. So some of the unpreparedness, I put it, you know, it was him. And uh, um, so. And outlawed at some point. But then as soon as he said, yeah, well, then a lot of lawyers called up before the election and said, look, there could be a ugly after election thing here, you know, another hanging Chad type situation. I want you to know I'm ready to come in. I'm talking about some big name lawyers. That's right? what surprised me is like normally in situations like this, you send in James Baker and, right. and his squad and they just get it done. Right. So a lot of people of a very significant stature were saying they, they would be ready to come in to help afterward. As soon as he... Well, for, That's fascinating. I didn't know yeah, that. Some people actually called the campaign and never got calls back. Okay. Wow. Then they would call me or, or somebody else and say, hey, I'm trying to let people know I'm ready. As soon as he named Rudy Giuliani, okay, these people ran for the hills. <laughs> they didn't want to be associated with that group, which I... The, the ink down fine. the face wasn't terribly inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it was? Well, <laughs> remember, it started with the press conference in front of the Four Seasons. Oh, yeah. right. I forgot about was the Was it like an season. auto body shop or no, something? No, it was, the, it was the Four Seasons lawn service. Right, lawn yeah. service. There there we go. Thinking it was the Four Seasons Hotel. <laughs> yeah, That's right. That's great. <laughs> great investigating, Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> but you're... So... so I mean, look, your your end is well documented. As I said, everybody who's ever interviewed you talks about the first seven pages of, yeah. the, of, of the book. Um, you mean my demise when you say my end? Yeah. yeah you're, you're, well, like, unclear, right? Because they chased you down and, and wanted you to stay at the same time. So, But, I mean, be that as it may, you get, you get to the end of your tenure. And now, with the benefit of hindsight, you look back, anything that you would change? I think the only thing I would change um, is I wish I had uh, kibitzed more and pushed a little bit more on COVID hmm. uh, because I thought we made a mistake not reaching out to the private sector public health leaders. I know of some who were interested in coming in to help out on this and, you know, who would have been, I think, better. He, he would have gotten better advice from than he got from this, you know, 80-year-old bureaucrat who's held the same job for 35 years. Fauci. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I thought he empowered Fauci by putting him up there and made him the face of COVID. He created Fauci. He didn't have to. He could have brought in a little panel special advisors on this thing. He it, didn't do that. And boy, did Fauci relish that opportunity. I mean, Hot I don't think there's a chance. sharper political operative. <laughs> Just, <laughs> it's certainly the not that guy health, works. health mind. Well, it was sort of, but and, uh, to, to be fair, you know, it's obvious. I mean, anyone with perception would see, you know, right up front what this was all about, which is it all, it's all about Fauci. So I think that was, that was a mistake. Uh, you know, and, and maybe I, I and others should have been a little bit more forceful on that. Hmm. But looking back, um, it, you know, one of the reasons I'm irritated with the president is because a lot of people, not just me, but a lot of people work very hard, despite all the unfairness toward him. Uh, he he could have won that election. And 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 and. Uh, COVID was not the reason he lost the election, in my opinion. Hmm. Uh, it certainly hurt him in the sense that it stopped the march of success he was on. But he could have still won 
pretty handily, I think, if he had just toned down a bit and not engaged in the kind of, you know, offensive conduct that had really irritated the, the suburban voters. And he was told constantly through 2020 that's what was his Achilles heel, hmm. and he ignored it. Hmm. That's fascinating. That's an incredible. Listen, everybody's got to read this this book because it's fascinating and encompasses many more things than we got to talk about. Your stuff on crime, the comparison to your first uh, uh, tenure at DOJ, and second, and the mindset of the left as they deal with crime, all that and more, uh, read the book because it's it's fascinating. But I, I do have three big questions right. that we got to ask. Right. And these are the ones. You ask for everybody. This right? is the everybody. Yeah. everybody there's no wrong answer. There are inauthentic answers. Right. <laughs> right. So first question is, your last meal on earth, what would it be? Uh, a bone-in tomahawk ribeye. Yes. With a Kansas City rub. Yeah. Okay mushrooms and cream spinach as the sides oh, I like and it. a new york old-fashioned new york cheesecake Ooh, that, <laughs> nice that weighs a ton <laughs> i imagine you have a big cab sitting along too, right and exactly a big cab a yeah. real big bold cab and that would be my last meal on yeah we well, could slide in sideways after that one <laughs> <laughs> now, was that an authentic answer? That was very authentic. <laughs> That's great. Very authentic. I would start off with a single malt scotch, though. So oh, yeah. Be, yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> now, if you did come at us with, like, a salad or something, I would have been like, no. no. Look at me. Am I a salad kind of guy? <laughs> we appreciate it. Uh, all right, second question. And I'm really interested, because uh, you can blue sky this thing. If you never got into this line of work at all, if you never were in the public service sector at DOJ, CIA, politics writ large, what would you want to do with your life? So I've always been a movie buff. Huh? And I I think that uh, movies are, have deteriorated along with the culture. In other words, Hollywood has become an incestuous place without very many you know new ideas. The quality of movies is... Uh, really deteriorated to the point where I hardly want to see any movie that's made you know, during <laughs> right. the year. How many Marvel movies do you need? And so I think I would like to be the head of a, of a content, a big content company, a movie studio or something where I could uh, try to uh, produce content that fulfills the promise uh, that our entertainment industry actually has. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. I didn't see that one coming. That's why yeah. we asked the question. Yeah. That's good. Well, I was on the Time Warner board for a while, and you know, mm -hmm. we had Warner yeah. Brothers and stuff, and I became interested in that in that business. I think a lot of money's being left on the, the table. Yeah, you think uh, one woke script after another is not, right. not exactly getting it done? <laughs> yeah. Talk about a bubble. Totally. Totally. All right, third and final question. This is where we sort of get into the mindset of Bill Barr. Yeah. And this is, this is my personal favorite question because as we see it, people are motivated by one of two things. It's the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's not just a binary thing because nobody likes defeat, obviously. But how you go about motivation in your life is, is basically some conglomeration of these two things. The, the victory person is the sunny optimist charging up the hill glass half full, trying to go get it done. The agony of defeat person is 
every victory they've ever had in life lasts about 10 seconds, right? Every defeat they've ever had, they wear like a backpack for the rest of their life, vowing never to have that happen to them again, right? And one of those two things is basically how everybody operates. Where do you come down on this spectrum? Well, first, it is a spectrum because I, you know, I, I don't wear my defeats as a backpack. You know, I can right. dust myself off. But it, it, to me, it's an easy answer. It is the agony of defeat uh, rather than the thrill of victory. That, I saw that coming, by the way. Yeah, I did really? too. Yeah. Well, you know, we've gotten pretty good at psychoanalyzing before somebody comes in, and I, I, you strike me as a classic agony of defeat person because you're not. You don't just sit and celebrate yourself well, or celebrate your achievement. Your career is incredible, but it's always kind of on to the next. Right. Well, and then I also thought about like um, the Talladega, Alabama hostage situation, right. for example. And uh, I know you're very proud of that. It was fascinating in here. I really enjoyed that that part of the book. But in your line of work, you have to work through everything that could potentially go wrong right? in order to make a decision. And you know if one of those things does go wrong, that's a big defeat. And so I feel like just to have your position, you kind of have to be an agony of defeat guy. Right. Because you got to work throughout all those those scenarios. Well, I figure every family, it, you point to anyone today and standing behind that person are generations and generations of his forebears who had a survival strategy. That person is here because of some survival strategy, right, <laughs> that was success. Well, I'm here not because we were warriors, meaning fighters we were warriors <laughs> <laughs> that is really That's good great. that is good i haven't heard that explanation before i love it but that you know actually i think that's what a good lawyer does yeah. is worry right. about what could go wrong and um but i remember early early in life uh when i was sort of approaching maturity and you know the idea of getting married and raising a family it was the idea of what motivated me was I have to be a good provider for my family. You know, I have to be a good provider. And a lot of people of my generation think that way. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was sort of... Wish they still did. Yeah. Yeah. Wish they still did. <laughs> Listen, Attorney General Bill Barr, the book is one damn thing after another. It's a great read. I can't thank you enough for coming in here and no, spending some you. time with it's us. It's been fun. <laughs> good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thank you fascinating right i mean he i love how when he walked in and i was like listen i'm gonna ask you whatever we want he's like yeah absolutely sat down just went right after it open book right and he he, he took everything head, headlong he obviously is, has his critiques of the the trump administration but he he has a ton of embrace over the things that they were able to accomplish and the goals that they were trying to accomplish and wants those things to be accomplished in the future. Um, and, and I like, he, he came on, you know, to, to, to face the gauntlet and, and while I disagree, I, you know, I haven't gone to law school or been attorney general twice. I think you can absolutely charge Biden with crimes today. Uh, I loved hearing his, his explanation of, okay, well, here's the burden of proof necessary. Right. right. And, and I also think it was interesting because it's something we've talked about previously on the program is, you know, he I, in reading the book, it seems like one of his main gripes was that President Trump, you know, listened to some people outside of the administration who were really far out of their depth 
and didn't know what they were talking about when he didn't get the answer he wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And 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 I think in reading this book at a number of points, he makes that extremely clear in how that actually worked to the president's detriment, particularly after the election. Obviously. Yeah. Right. And he's been proven right by time. Yeah. Oh, listen, I, you ought to read the book. And I don't say that about everybody who comes on. You really ought to read this book because it's about so much more than what the media has proclaimed this to be in just the Trump criticisms. Right. It has a lot of depth and a lot of context to it. I found it totally interesting. And there you go. Another banger of an episode, gentlemen, if I must say so myself. Great to be back on. Great to be with you all in the studio. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.